Hello and welcome to another episode of Friday Formula, a weekly motorsport podcast where this week we'll be taking a jewel in the desert before parking up at Mirabeau as we discuss the highs and lows of Nico Rosberg's Formula One career. I'm Owen Bellwood and as always I'm joined by Will Longman. How are you doing this week, Will? I am good. I'm, I'm glad you've mentioned the desert because you're stateside now over in New York. It's so bloody hot over here. It's well hot here as well. I was not prepared for it. How hot is it over there? I think the highest we've had was like 33. Well, the highest we had is 33. It's been like 26 here, but it's still really hot. Yeah. The advantage I have is that like everything's air conditioned over here because they're used to it. Whereas back in the UK, nowhere's got air on. You can't escape it. It, get, it seems to get warmer in the evening because mm. it just traps the heat in. It's to do with the building like radiating the heat out again. Ah. It's like those really cool houses on Grand Designs that have like the uh, natural insulation. And so they can like naturally modulate the temperature depending on the climate. They're really cool. We, we just all need to move to having houses like that. That's the future. Is that what we're going to tackle this week? Sack off motorsport will solve housing. We're not, but we are staying along the green theme in one way because we're talking about a great driver who raced in silver and green. That doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I really wondered where you were going. <laughs> Nico Rosberg, 2016 world champion and part-time Formula One driver, full-time YouTuber. Um, probably had more success on YouTube now than he has in Formula 1 uh, we're tackling his life and times and we were going to sneak into the last five years and predict well not really predict but simulate talk about how good he might have been yeah because this episode kind of came about one day when I was just thinking would he have won another title if he'd stuck with Mercedes because Obviously, everyone's talked quite a lot about how much he had to sacrifice in 2016 just to try and best Lewis Hamilton. But how did his like previous performances stack up? What was the rest of his career like? Do we think he had the potential to continue and follow in the footsteps of people like Lewis, uh, Sebastian Vettel and these other drivers that have gone on to win multiple world championships? Because for a long time, Nico was a bit of a, a midfield runner, wasn't he? Started at Williams and moved to uh, Mercedes, but he was with them from the early days. So you're kinda, you, you've you looked into his past results and picked out a couple of the, uh, the highlights, right? Yeah, so the reason that I thought it would be interesting to kind of look a bit more into Rothberg is because Bottas is obviously coming under a lot of fire at the minute for his performance. And it's quite interesting how closely aligned Bottas and Rosberg's careers have been because they both started at Williams, had four or five seasons there and then moved to Mercedes and had four or five seasons there where they were partnered with multiple winning world champions. And they've kind of constantly been compared to those drivers. But in, in the early days with Rosberg, he joined Williams in 2006 and he was partnered with Mark Webber initially. It wasn't the most successful partnership he had with Williams. In his first season, he finished seventh. Uh, He got his first points at the Bahrain Grand Prix, which was the season opener that year, but then 
through the rest of the year it wasn't wasn't really too glowing the following year he did improve a little bit and you could see that he kind of integrated himself in the team a little bit better he ended up finishing ninth he'd uh, amassed 20 points over the year and his highest result was four but he was still kind of chasing that first podium or that first win and his first podium didn't actually come until 2008 when he was still with Williams uh, and he finished third in Australia and that was the season opener that year. So I remember from that race there's a really cool clip of because Lewis won that race it's his first championship winning year and in the cool down room they were just so like I think Lewis walked in and like their eyes just lit up like you get when like two best friends see each other and they just like jumped around and hugged each other and they were totally elated and you could tell they were really good mates and happy for each other it wasn't just kind of heat of the moment no i remember seeing that too they both just seemed so excited and so like you say delighted for each other but the interesting thing that i learned while researching this is that mclaren actually approached williams uh, with the idea of having rosberg in their team for the 2008 season following the departure of Alonso. So it would have been interesting if the two of them had become teammates earlier on in their careers, whether we'd have seen the same kind of fractures that we did later on, or if because they had grown up together, they would have pushed each other a little bit more positively. But um, how different things could have been if Rosberg had ended up in a slightly more competitive car early on. Because while Williams is one of the most historic and famous teams on the grid during the 2006 to 2009 it wasn't exactly the winning team that it has been and would then be a few years later no and I, it would have also been an opportunity for him to be pushing for a number one driver spot at a competitive team and in the same way lewis would have not necessarily been the outright number one but then it probably also Patience is a virtue and, and gaining that experience over the next few years, staying at Williams and then moving to the Mercedes that we don't know of today. Probably while he wasn't winning races straight away in his career like Lewis was, it in the long run probably did teach him quite a lot and if not drove him more to be that championship winner that he became. Yeah, yeah. And he was definitely putting in performances that were getting him noticed. I mean, for McLaren to want to try and poach him from Williams, uh, that was after 2007, when he finished ninth in the driver's standings. In 2008, he ended the year 13th with 17 points to his name. And then in 2009, he ended up with 34.5 points over the 17 races. And his highest finishes that year came in Germany and Hungary when he claimed fourth place. So you could see that through his time at Williams, his performances had continued to improve. He'd definitely figured out the way to kind of bring the team around him. And 2006 was actually the only year during his time at the team where he was out-qualified by his teammate. After that, he consistently finished ahead of everyone that he was partnered with. So he'd clearly proven himself as quite a competitive driver and someone that knew their way around the car. So I don't think it was super surprising when towards the middle of 2009 reports started to emerge that 
Mercedes were looking to sign Nico onto the new team. Which was, it was their Braun GP team got bought by Mercedes and they relaunched in the beginning of 2010 with Nico Rosberg and Michael Schumacher as their drivers. So it was this big all-German team that was ready to bring Mercedes back to Formula One for the first time. And it was quite exciting to see a very established driver like Michael, who'd come out of retirement, paired with this quite hopeful new prospect that, while didn't have the wins under his belt, had sort of proven himself so far with the results and shown improvement each year that he'd been in the sport. He must have really kind of thanked his lucky stars because Braun were dominant in the first half of that 2009 season with their double diffuser and then everyone kind of caught up. But they just weren't competitive in 2010. They finished fourth with three podiums, all third places. They didn't get any wins. And so it must have been a real letdown to commit to a team that you think would be up there with Ferrari, McLaren and and the Red Bulls. And it just it just wasn't there. And that could have, again, been an early an early opportunity for him. You know, he could have signed for McLaren in 2008 or nine, and he could have been in a really fast car, or he was joining a really fast team that just didn't have a really fast car in 2010. But it did pair him with the greatest driver of all time at that time, Michael Schumacher, who I would like to say he probably learned a lot from. But listening to a podcast with him today... It does not seem that was necessarily the case because he was kind of saying that Michael was the kind of guy that if he saw you as a threat or a rival, he'd keep his cars close to his chest. So he wasn't as giving as maybe other teammates could be to a young driver. Yeah, and I read a few things that kind of clips from interviews uh, ahead of the 2010 season where Rosberg was saying that he was a little bit apprehensive about what the relationship would be like between Michael and Ross Braun, who was um, still leading the Mercedes team at that time, because they'd obviously worked together at Ferrari when Michael had been winning all these championships. He was a little bit apprehensive that he might be sort of not cast to one side, but clearly not the number one driver. But in spite of that, he did go on to have the better season than seven-time world champion. Over the course of the year, Schumacher outperformed Rosberg just five times in the 19 races, and Rosberg finished the season in seventh with 142 points. Through the 2010 season, his best performances came in Malaysia, China, and Britain, where he secured third place. Like I said, it was the, the only three podium finishes for the team that year. So it was really nice to see him just come in and stamp his name on the team and be like, I'm the competitive driver. I'm the one that's going to get the podiums. It was obviously strange for people that had grown up being Michael Schumacher fans and seeing him dominate him, to see him just be a little bit uh, off the pace and not as cutthroat and competitive as everyone remembered. Yeah, but I also would expect that was the reason, that wasn't the reason necessarily why Michael was brought into Mercedes. They were rebranding, relaunching. So, A, it's great for their image, first and foremost. Like It's, it's fantastic to be bringing seven-time world champion out of retirement to drive your car. But also, they were starting afresh, almost. You know, they were really distancing themselves from the Honda and the, the Braun that had come before them and were trying to build something new. And I'm sure while he might have not 
let on anything to Nico as a competitor, I'm sure the team benefited immensely over the, over the the years that we know them now. They've become so dominant. A lot of that was probably down to some of the groundwork that Michael Schumacher put down. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. And the the two of them worked together over three seasons. I think it was in the end. So they must have built up quite a quite a positive teamwork during that time because they did the team did improve over the three years. And uh, Rosberg had his first win in a Mercedes, and that came in China in 2012 where he qualified on pole and finished the race 20 seconds ahead of Jensen Button, who finished second. So that was really showing the pace that the team had. Through the years, they did were kind of plagued by a couple of issues, like the drivers were complaining about tyre wear quite a lot for some one area that the Mercedes seemed to struggle. But during this time, Formula One was dominated by Red Bull and Sebastian Vettel. So it's like how now we're pleased to see anyone that isn't Mercedes win back then you were pretty happy to see anyone that wasn't a Red Bull win yeah and that and that Chinese win in 2012 was actually his first ever pole position as well so a dominant weekend from Nico Rosberg was something that we would come to get used to (laughs) but we definitely weren't then yeah but as I mentioned with Williams and how Rosberg uh, outperformed his teammates throughout his time there but this continued at Mercedes and in 2010 11 and 12 he did perform better than Michael Schumacher each year so he finished the season in seventh in 2011 and ninth in 2012 and in 2012 Schumacher was 13 so that was a decent few pegs above but his reign as the team's number one came under fire in 2013 when one Lewis Hamilton joined Mercedes. He did. And it was a controversial move. Midway through the the 2013 season, it was announced that Hamilton was joining Mercedes from McLaren. And everyone was shocked because they thought he was just moving for the money. They, They didn't treat Mercedes as competitors, despite finishing second in that season. It was kind of like we came to know Mercedes. It was Red Bull at the top and then just everyone else filtered down. And I guess given on past performances, McLaren's pace probably looked like a blip, a bit like Ferrari's in 2020. So the consensus would have been, why don't you just stick with McLaren? They'll end up bringing it back. But I'm sure he saw the vision of what could happen at Mercedes and sure enough, uh, he, he was right. Yeah, yeah. And I also wonder if he's maybe seen some of McLaren's struggles coming. Because in the years that followed his departure, that team really did take a turn. And he definitely made the right move in stepping away. Yeah, so maybe Lewis had, had the foresight of what was coming. Um, he still had a, he had a pretty decent season with... A fledgling team. He came fourth in 2013, regardless of where the team finished. Um, so he could still extract something. I mean, that's a sign of what Lewis Hamilton could do, right? You could put him in a in a Rodney Trotter's three wheeled car, Del Boy's three wheeled car, whatever, um, and he'd still end up getting putting it on the podium. 
So yeah, maybe there were just signs of what Mercedes were working on. And there's that partnership, isn't there? McLaren and Mercedes, they were making the engines for McLaren. Maybe he could just see how that was moving in the direction they were going in. Who knows? But yeah, ultimately the right decision. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the 2013 season, uh, Hamilton did come in and immediately outperform Rosberg. So like you said, Hamilton finished fourth with Rosberg in sixth at the end of the year. Through the course of the season, both drivers did claim victories, um, but Rosberg won two. He took the win in Monaco at Great Britain, as Hamilton just won in Hungary. But that wasn't enough to stop Hamilton's, I guess, consistent form throughout the year, and he was just able to extract more from the car. But then, obviously, everything changed come 2014 when we entered the turbo hybrid era. Dun, dun, dun. And so since the, the turbo hybrid engines came in, Mercedes has dominated the sport. And this is where things start to really get spicy in the Rosberg story. It started so well for Rosberg. Um, this season, he won race one in Australia and Hamilton retired. So he had a pretty healthy lead over his teammate at that point. Yeah, and it kind of continued to be really close between the two of them through the whole season. It would be like Hamilton would win, Rosberg would be second, Rosberg would win, Hamilton would be second. Yeah, so there were there were 10 Mercedes 1-2s throughout the course of that season. And eight of them were Hamilton winning the race and... Rosberg in second. Uh, Rosberg won the first race of the season when Hamilton retired and a race where in Germany where Lewis came third. Um, apart from that, kind of throughout the season, yes, the Mercedes was dominant, but it was also very clear that Hamilton was the dominant driver in that team. Um, he didn't win them all from pole. There were a couple that he has made it past Nico for whatever reason. Um, and vice versa, there are races where Nico started or Lewis started and Paul and Nico made it round. But this was only as well we forget this. Lewis Hamilton's second world championship. I know. It seems so long ago now. Yeah. Twenty fourteen was also kind of a turning point for the pair's relationship I feel. Because like you mentioned in two thousand and eight we'd seen them both so friendly and excited to be on the podium together. But now as they were both in a world championship winning car and they were both fighting for wins and ultimately the championship you start to see the cracks form and so I've been thinking about this because obviously we talk like obviously like spoiler alert it got a little bit more frosty but while we're talking about like their friendship and their personal relationship comparing it to like the modern grid like we know that like Lando and Carlos were great mates at McLaren we know that Lando and George were a great mates and, you know, they play video games all the time, whatever. And at this stage, it's difficult to imagine them becoming bitter rivals, especially when when George moves to Mercedes later this year, not if. You could have a situation where you have got, you know, George, Carlos, Lando, and even Carlos and Charles at Ferrari within the same team all get on really well. Could you imagine it frosting over 
as much as Nico and Lewis's relationship did. I feel like some relationships would undoubtedly go frosty. But then, with, obviously, Lando and Carlos weren't fighting for wins that often, but they were definitely, through the year, both trying to outperform each other. And while they'd get a little close and get a little dicey on track, afterwards, or proceed in the race, they'd still be super friendly with each other. So, I feel like a relationship like that maybe wouldn't, but... When you hear all these stories about how Lewis and Nico had gone up through karting together and been mates forever, just to see theirs go so sour so quickly was a bit of a shock. But um, uh, but undoubtedly one event that did spark the turning point was the Monaco Grand Prix in 2014, when both drivers had been fighting for pole because they were the best cars on the grid. Uh, and Rosberg had set the fastest time, but both him and Hamilton were going for another lap. And Rosberg mysteriously locked up and ended up basically parking his car at Mirabeau, which meant the yellow flags came out and Hamilton had to slow down his lap. So Rosberg kept pole and then ultimately won the race. And this was before we'd started to see team orders and things start to creep in as Toto Wolf tried to get a handle on the situation. But when you're both fighting for the win, what do you think of tactics like that? It, it It's similar to what Michael Schumacher did, isn't it, at Raskas years ago where he purposely crashed and so no one else could set a time. And that's, I think, what instilled the seed in everyone's head that that's what Charles did at Monaco this year. It's it's not it's not cool, is it? But is it confirmed that he did it on purpose? It's not confirmed. But would you ever be able to confirm something like that? Innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, the Friday Formula lawyers cannot confirm nor deny. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't want to jump ahead in the story, um, but something happens in one of his last races. Um, where he doesn't win the race, but the driver who does wins it with some dirty tactics involved. And it was kind of widely accepted or it had been put to Nico that you wouldn't have wanted to win a race like that. And he was like, no, of course not. Like, if you're not fast enough, you're not fast enough. You have, you have to win it by being fast enough. So I'd like to think, I, I, I think Nico is a pretty trustworthy character. But if you did it on purpose, it's not cool. No. But it is, like you say, it is interesting how the, not dirty tactics, but definite tactics <laughs> were, were pretty prevalent throughout the Rosberg-Hamilton-Mercedes era. Like the closest we've got since Rosberg left would be Bottas at Sochi giving Verstappen a bit of a toe because he knew he wanted to be third rather than second. But quite the same. We're not going to see Bottas throw in a hat across the room. Nico said that, that it was very clear throughout all of the the time he was at Mercedes with Toto anyway, that if one of the cars had the opportunity to win the race, no matter who it was, no matter what the championship standings were, if you weren't winning the race, but you were in front of a driver who could win the race, you were giving up that spot, no matter where you were. 
so again I think he was kept honest in that way at Mercedes um, and I can imagine Nico doing that it just appears I think they still have the same rule I just think Lewis is always in front of Valtteri and so he's always the one with the shot of winning for one reason or another whether it's pace or tactics or strategy or whatever yeah and throughout uh, 2014 and 2015 while it was very close between Lewis and Nico it did kind of come Lewis's way let's say nine times out of ten and so Lewis did win the championship in 2014 and 2015 interestingly can could you tell me who the only non-Mercedes driver to win a race in 2015 was uh Kimi no same team though. Seb? Yeah. Ah. Seb won three of the races. Mercedes won the other 16 though, so <laughs> it's not a lot to write home about. <laughs> so Lewis tied up the 2015 season at the US Grand Prix, and that seemingly like spurred on Nico in a way that I've not really seen with Valtteri because he went on to win the last three races of the 2015 season and the first four rounds of 2016. So he was like really on a winning streak. But the following race in Spain, the two famously came together. Now, Will, whose fault was it? Nico Rosberg's. Why are you so confident that it was his fault? Because Lewis clearly had the speed on him and he had the space. And then all of a sudden... He didn't have the space. It was stupid, wasn't it? But also brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I it's a it's a hard agree on my side. There was space for the two of them on track. How they ended up coming together is just beyond me. Can you imagine having to go back and face the wrath of Toto Wolf? No. Like, that's not a place I'd want to be. I've seen him punch that desk. I don't want to be on the receiving end of one of those punches. He restrained himself in Baku, didn't he? He went for it and then he was like, keep it cool. Keep it cool, Toto. The, the one good thing to come out of that collision was that we got Max Verstappen's first win. So that was excellent. That was in his first race for Red Bull as well. Yes. yeah. The rest of 2016 did continue to be quite close, uh, but it ultimately went Nico Rosberg's way and he finished the season with 10 wins to his name and 385 points which put him just 5 clear of uh, his teammate Lewis Hamilton and meant that he secured the Drivers Championship for the first time and you've alluded to the final race of the season being quite key in that. What, uh, What was it that happened there? So, oh god I can't remember the exact permutations but Lewis got pole led from the start and then Nico ended up in third which is where he needed to be Lewis had the pace or maybe he was in second I assume he was in second actually where he needs to be to finish the championship there was nothing Lewis could do because Nico had some pretty clear air in front of him the only thing he thinks he could or he thought he could do back everyone up and hope Vettel behind him makes a move and overtakes him thus the point gap between them grows and he wins the championship 
it's clever. I think most other drivers would secure the win and just hope if it's fate and it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I don't think many other drivers would have the balls of Lewis Hamilton to try and manipulate the race like that. It's so clever. And there's not many people that could even try and... And he nearly did it. He really nearly did it. Vettel nearly did it on the penultimate lap. But he did get did get a stern word from then technical director Paddy Lowe asking him to get a hurry on. Yeah, and he just said no. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a bizarre scene to watch yeah. unfold. Like... Abu Dhabi's already quite boring. Why would you purposefully try and slow it down? <laughs> oh, yeah, at least he gave us a good race at Abu Dhabi, though. Hmm, that's true, <laughs> that's true. So at the end of the race, Rosberg did win the title, but then just after, announced his retirement from the sport, which was quite shocking. Um, the last person, the last driver to announce a retirement after winning a title was Alan Frost. So Nico stepped back, and Bottas stepped in, having departed Williams, where he'd been since the start of his career. And before we head into the question of would Rosberg perform better, I'm just going to hit you with some stats comparing Bottas and Rosberg's performance. Because during his time at Williams and Mercedes, Nico Rosberg had 206 starts, won 23 races, got 57 podiums, 30 pole positions, and 1,594.5 career points. Valtteri Bottas, who I think has maybe two seasons less than Rosberg, ended up with 59 podiums, 9 wins, 1,559 points, and 17 pole positions. So, it's similar on podiums, but it's in the wins pole positions where he is second fiddle he's always been second fiddle and you have to wonder whether it was a conscious decision on behalf of the team they've seen how explosive two very competitive drivers can be in basically the only car that can win a world championship so from a team point of view, from a business point of view even, you want to win that championship as a team. You know that one of your drivers will win the driver's championship. Let things play out and have a driver that's just happy to be there. Like, let's be honest, Mercedes could have had absolutely anyone they wanted in that seat and they went with Valtteri Bottas. The whole time we've been talking about it in my head, I've been thinking it's funny how they've gone Williams for Williams drivers. So Nico Rosberg is Williams Mercedes. Bottas, Williams Mercedes. And now we're moving with George Russell, Williams to Mercedes. Yeah, and I, I just wonder if George Russell will be the same or not. Not that this is a George Russell episode, but... No, but it is, it is something to consider at the same time. Um, I'm not, not really sure how you can compare them, because... Valtteri Bottas was obviously doing quite well in the Williams, but the Williams was competitive. And then George Russell has been struggling around the bottom end in a seriously uncompetitive Williams, where he's been very close to scoring his first point a few times. 
but never quite got there. But he's just shown that he's got consistency, got the pace on one lap, and that he can get the best out of whatever machinery he's in. So I think comparing them two is a little bit trickier. Maybe we'll do this again in five years' time. When when George Russell's been dropped and demoted back to Williams. <laughs> I, I don't think we'll ever appreciate, because 2020 was such a bonkers year, how lucky we were to see that driver switch where George took over Lewis's seat for one race. And like it was a complete showdown between Valtteri and George. We'll never appreciate what a stunning thing, like spectacle that was. Looking back through the 2006 to present day, there were have been a few kind of driver switches mid-season that I didn't really think about in the past, but definitely in recent years, it's not something that happens really at all. Except Red Bull. Yeah, true, except Red Bull. Actually, yeah, that's <laughs> not true. It's happened like the last two years. But what about com- so comparing those two, Bottas and Rosberg? Do you think if Rosberg hadn't retired, he could have clinched another world title? Or did it take so much commitment from him just to get that one that he maybe was drained and ready to become full-time YouTuber? I think the Formula 1 World Championship was a brilliant step into his YouTube career, to be honest. Um, I think it works in both ways, because... Nico would have gone into the 2017 season with a massive confidence of being the world champion. And again, we're, we're caveating this in that like, we're essentially changing Nico Rosberg's mindset when we talk about this and imagine him going into 2017 because he wasn't up for it. Um, so we're imagining that he was. He'd have had a massive confidence. I think Lewis Hamilton would have been fired up, but that doesn't necessarily mean he would have been a better driver. No. Because it is interesting how you see Lewis perform the week after he's not done as well. And obviously, he had a rival in 2017, but maybe not someone quite on the same level. So he didn't really have to kind of prove, to like outperform anyone in order to prove himself quite as much. Because as we're seeing with a lot of drivers this year, it takes a little while to get used to a new team. So... While Bottas has his moments, he wasn't ever going to be a threat in 2017. No, and he's just never really... He wasn't as good. He's never been as good as Rosberg. Like We've seen some brilliant racing from Hamilton and Rosberg in the past, like the duel in the desert. And we've seen glimpses of that with... Um, Bottas, I think Silverstone 2018 comes to mind, 18 or 19, where you know they slung it side by side for a couple of laps and they swapped positions and that was great, but nothing on the scale that that Rosberg had, and he had he he had that like you said, he got that winning streak locked down at the beginning of the 2016 season. He carried that confidence through where he won the final three races. It fired him up, and it set him up for the best year of his life. Bottas doesn't seem to be able to string results and have that consistency. Yeah, I think that's kind of one of the biggest differences is that Rosberg, um, Bottas will start a year 
and win the first race and be like, I'm Bottas 3.0, I eat my porridge every day, I'm going to win everything. And then something will happen, like the wheel nut in Monaco, or a bodged pit stop, or a puncture on the track or something, and it'll just really knock his confidence. And then it seems like he struggles to get back into those winning ways. Whereas Rosberg, obviously, he was still getting the one-twos a lot. But through the 14, 15 and 16 seasons, he'd have retirements and races where it didn't quite go as he'd hoped. And then he'd come back a week later and finish first or second. And he was just always there on Lewis's tail, ready to ready to race him for the win which is just not something we see these days. So I think if he'd stayed in, we would have seen a much more interesting world championship in the following years. I don't know if that would have translated to more victories for Rosberg, though. No. it's. I worry that if he stayed, he would have just broken down because he put so much effort into that 2016 season. Um, things like suppose he'd be uh, like moved into a different house away from his family and stuff like that. Yeah, but his his attention to detail was extraordinary. So they they it's, I can't remember the exact numbers, but for every kilogram of muscle you have on your legs, someone told him if you lose a kilogram, it will result in a tenth being a tenth quicker on a on a pole lap, um, on a quali lap. So he lost two kilograms of leg muscle for the Japanese Grand Prix and he took pole by three tenths. So, yeah, he would have taken it by a tenth, but it's that difference. And also, like, who figures that out? But then there were things that Nico figured out himself. So all of the gloves used to have seams that ran across the top of the finger. to, to And he realised that it didn't give him as much control because that extra quarter of an inch was tapping before he wanted his finger to so now all the drivers have seamless gloves because Nico Rosberg realised that it's better you have more control well things like turning the controls as well and, and pressing buttons um, and that just incremental changes and that's what he was always about little changes make big steps and I think it's just an entire philosophy that only world champions can have. And like Lewis Hamilton has a philosophy. Nico Rosberg had one. And Valtteri Bottas is his porridge and coffee. Like, what is Valtteri Bottas's philosophy? He doesn't have one. Obviously, people like Lewis have this meticulous attention to detail as well. But with Lewis, it seems like his way of winning a world championship is uniting the team and having everyone working together on the car and getting the best out of it. Whereas things like what you've said about Rosberg losing the weight, uh, losing the muscle weight off his legs and working on his um, like feedback into the car, it seems like he was much more focused on things that he could do personally. Yeah. And it's whether or not that's sustainable to carry on to another year. A year of doing that and losing weight to win the race it's going to take its toll and you're going to be like, I just want a holiday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Lewis, you know, Lewis puts in 
extraordinary amounts of work, but he he's arguably won his championships because of his pure talent. He has something very rare that he can tap into, and it felt like Nico had to build on himself day, week, month, year on year before he could get to that standard. God knows what it would have been like to maintain it. So do you think he would have won any more championships if he'd stayed with Mercedes for, let's say, let's say he stayed for three years, taking him up to 2019? Um, maybe, maybe one more. Maybe 2017. But then with specifically with 2019 I feel like that was a year where Lewis just that was when he seemed like he was on another level so like 2019 and 2020 he's obviously like five world championships in by then but it seemed like he really took a step up Hmm. so maybe Rosberg could have sustained his meticulous attention to detail and his drive to win in 2017 but then like you say, the pressure of competing like that week in, week out, and he'd already won the world championship. He didn't have anything else to prove by beating Lewis again. And I guess when you've got to that level, the thing to aim for is like the next record. So he's beaten Lewis, he's got his world championship, but he's not going to want to commit to carrying on going to try and take Schumacher's record. And I guess it's kind of balancing, do you just want to be a world champion or do you want to be a record breaker? If you just want to be a world champion and you're very happy with it, just call it a day and go off and enjoy your life in Monaco with your kids and making YouTube videos. I feel like I would have, I'm very much not in the same league, <laughs> but I would have been like that. I'd have been like, it's not worth the effort. Not that it's not worth the effort, but the... It's the bigger picture. He, he has an idea of the bigger picture in life, right? Yeah. Yeah, the commitments and the kind of sacrifices that you've got to make. Whereas someone like Max Verstappen, who is winning races and in championship competing cars from a very young age, is actually talking about, well, I hope Lewis doesn't get that record because it's a lower record for me to go and get. And he has this long career span in front of him where he can see himself picking off the championships. Like Nico's picked off his 10, well, in his 11th season. Yeah, in his 11th season in Formula One. You can win another couple and that will be great. But like you say, go and go and enjoy your life, man, and stop worrying about losing leg muscle. Yeah. Like, just enjoy your legs. So like your advice to any drivers considering retirement, just take a time off, enjoy your legs. <laughs> that is the uh, the title of this episode when it goes up on YouTube. Enjoy your <laughs> legs. So that is our evaluation of Nico Rosberg and his time in Formula One and whether or not we think he could have clinched another world title. What do you think? Do you see Rosberg becoming a two, three, four-time world champion? We'd love to hear your thoughts on the life and times of Nico Rosberg. Let us know on Twitter. You can contact the show at Friday Formula or you can get in touch with each of us individually. I am at Owen underscore Bellwood and Will, you are... At Will Longman. So please do let us know how you think he could have performed in the following seasons. 
also on Twitter, uh, we'd love to hear your one-sentence reviews of the French Grand Prix, which is kicking off this weekend, and we'll be reviewing next week. So if you've got any thoughts on the race that you'd like to share, please do let us know. That is everything from us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Have a lovely time watching all the action at Paul Ricard. Speak to you soon. Goodbye. Bye.